yo ho, pirates life for me. <laughs> you know, I find that endlessly endearing when you do that. Because it, it, it's that one part. There's always that dog that does the during the part, and I always found that endearing. So. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I, I, I do like that. But I liked how we, even when we were writing Pirates of the Caribbean yesterday. Did you do that yesterday? I think we were just a little distracted because we were looking for Gunpowder Pete. Yeah, I think that was... I, I didn't notice it because I was more looking for other live pirates in the ride, but... I was kind of disappointed there was only one. Spoilers. It's only spoilers for anyone going to Walt Disney World during the not-so-scary Halloween party. There's only one active pirate, but there's, I mean, a couple in the queue, but not in the, uh... Right itself. Not in the ride itself. I was hoping there'd be more. Same. Yeah. But, um... Hello, everybody, and welcome to Anna Musings. I am your host, Kayla Berry. And I'm your other host, David King. And, uh, we are recording this from the Walt Disney World Resort. Yeah, well, we didn't have to do this at the Walt Disney World Resort. I said, hey, they'll never know the difference. And you probably wouldn't if, unless we told you. But yeah, we're actually recording this from our hotel room in, in Florida. So we are um, the majority of a continent away from where we started. And uh, we've had a great time. This is our last day here. Uh, we don't have any major plans, which is nice. We're just going to kind of relax today. Uh, I'll probably go explore Disney Springs. Um Go check out the other hotels around here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we are on Walt Disney World properly, so... Yep. Uh, we've had a whirlwind of days to go to the... We, we saved up a bit, and we had a whirlwind of going to the different parks and checking them out. We went to the... Obviously, we went to the not-so-scary... Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, which I've never done before. Neither have I. I completely recommend it. I... Despite the pirates being a little underwhelming... The parade is amazing. The Hocus Pocus Spectacular was really, really good. Um, <laughs> well, it was great to see the Sanderson sisters again, for one. Oh, yeah. Because it's it's true. It's been 25 years since that movie came out. <laughs> they even pointed it out. And, but we're not here to talk about that movie. No, although... Because unfortunately, it's not an animated movie. We can't talk about it. What are we here to talk about? We're here to talk about um, 101 Dalmatians which came out in 1961. All right, we've entered the 60s. Wow. We only had, what, a handful of movies in the in the 50s, right? We had, like, Cinderella, uh, so Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland was the 50s, right? Yes, it was. Uh, so was Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Yeah, well, a lot of classics came out in the 50s. I know. Well, like, Lady and the Tramp and... Um, we ended with... Uh, Sleeping Beauty. Yes, 1959. This is... So you had, like, five films, but, like, in the 40s, we had all the package films, so it was, like, whap, 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 like, movie after movie after movie. So, it's interesting. So we've already, like, in five movies, we've already gone from the 40s to the, uh, to the 60s. Mm-hmm. Well, this one came... the end of the 40s, I should say. Yeah, this one came out January 25th, 1961, and I should say, at this time, um, Walt Disney was in debt. Uh, if you recall, Sleeping Beauty was a flop. Yeah. A huge flop. Which, as we, from analyzing the movie, I guess I can kind of understand why. Mm-hmm. So. Like, um, it was so bad that they were even talking about closing the animation division. <laughs> it was that bad? Yeah. Jeez. They were going to more focus on live action films, television, and theme parks. Oh, wow. Which, that, 
So if 101 Dalmatians didn't do well, we wouldn't have had the... It's funny because we like had like, you know, success, flop, success, flop. That's how it's felt kind of recently, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I do not mind telling the budget for this and then what we made because this is quite astounding. So the bi- budget itself was $3.6 million, a okay. little less than the normal. Only a little less, though. Um, it made $14 million. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it saved... Was that internationally or Interna- domestic? Like, all together. Uh, domestically, it was $6.2 million. Okay. Then, um, it was actually very popular in France. It was actually... Um, it was, like, definitely popular in France, from what I've read. And then also in the U.S., it was the highest grossing movie of 1961. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, first off, this, uh, this, uh, movie was based off a book, Mm. so this actually did have a, um, this did have a backing, um, the book is called, is called, um, 101 Dalmatians, and it was written by, uh, author Dottie Smith, Mm -hmm. and, uh, she actually already was a, um, playwright and novelist, but, uh, a a bunch of the book is actually based off her own life. I mean, not to the full extent, but a couple of pieces. Like, um, she actually did have Dalmatians of her own. She actually had nine. That she, seems like, see, that already seems like too many Dalmatians, but okay. And uh, one of hers was named Pongo. Huh? And she got the idea for the book when a friend came over to her house, and then she saw the dogs together and remarked, those dogs would make a lovely fur coat. <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> uh, before, so, uh, yeah, before we, um, get into this, uh, film, actually, uh, I'll give the history in a little bit, but, uh, why don't you tell me a bit about your history with it? Oh, okay. Well, uh, this is, again, one I didn't own. I rented it a fair amount. Um, I've always liked this movie. I don't, you know, as I, the more I think about it, this is the film, one of the films that we've watched recently that I think has aged the best. Mm-hmm. Like when I watch it, I, I, I genuinely, I genuinely think it's got a, uh, stylistically a really good angle to it. I remember being charmed by it as a kid. It's, it's so animated. It's so active. Uh, a lot happens in it and it's just, uh, it's just compelling. So I enjoyed it quite a bit when I was, uh, when I was younger. Uh, but again, not one I rented super frequently. When I did, I enjoyed it. I rented it and I watched it enough that I um, I definitely remember the movie really well. So, okay, well, I um, you know, <laughs> I don't remember it much as a kid. Like this wasn't one of the movies I frequently watched, but I know it did affect me uh, when I was little. Like. Much little, because um, we did have two Dalmatians growing up. Uh, one of them was named Perdita. Oh. Named after right. one dog from 100 <coughs> Dalmatians. Um, hmm. But I should let you know right now, everybody. Um, <laughs> despite what this movie might say, Dalmatians are very dumb dogs. <laughs> they really are. You always say dumber than a box of rocks. They were like. Well, was it just these two Dalmatians, or no? It, like you, if you, I've I spoke to, to other people who have had Dalmatians or like know about Dalmatians. They are dumb dogs. Like 
my dogs would like would you tell them no and they'd be like what uh they would chew on our barbie dolls they like my parents had a um had a deck on our old house and they would chew on the deck oh like they just didn't get it at all and um i know my mom my mom had to um uh give up one of the dogs to uh, for adoption because she just kept chewing on everything mm. in our house and we can we can you can get the dog to stop no mm. so um uh she ended up going to an older lady who um had been wanting a dog for a very long time and was very happy with uh this was actually perdita she was very happy with perdita oh so. that's good at least you gotta get home mm-hmm uh i remember that um now I probably should talk about the animation history behind this because um, this was actually uh, <coughs> they did something that was actually a new feat in animation. Um, Which was so um, xeroxing. Xeroxing. Yes. So uh, ooh, this is Ub Iwerks actually. Um, ah, yes. Special processes once again. Ub so, Iwerks. Yes. So, uh, he actually had been experimenting with, like, Xerox photography to help aid in animation. Because, um, if you notice, uh, uh, there is a lot of, um, well, one, there's a lot of spots that they had to keep painting. Yeah. And not only that, uh, the style's a bit different, like, there, it has a more inky feel, right? The, okay, here, here's the thing. The film, the film, okay, what's, what's interesting is the, la- the last few films, we, you could really tell style, uh, animation styles are like distancing themselves a little more and a little more from the traditional sort of Disney style that we've been seeing through like the, like the, you know, 40s, the, from the 30s, 40s to the 50s. And now here we are. And this film feels very 60s to me. Oh, like, yeah. Very 60s. Well, at least early sixties, like count, like like um, jazz age, like jazz, like s- bebop. Yeah, is the way I would sum up the. Or, or like beat generation sort of feel. Yeah, like I got beat. It's this is a beatnik movie <laughs> anyway. So there's a reason for that. Um, so uh, Ub had actually modified the Xerox camera, so it would transfer drawings from. Uh. Uh. Basically, from animators to, like, basically would eliminate the inking process altogether. Really? It would actually save time and money. Um, but it was unable to take away that black, scratchy outline. So when you, so with hand inking, you know how the lines were very thin and all that? And mm-hmm. then this one, it's, like, much more darker? Yeah. That's because of the Xeroxing. Oh, wow. Okay, so that explains the style. One of the... Major style differences, too. Yes. Um, and, uh, but, uh, Ken Anderson was the one who said we should do this for, uh, for, um, this movie because you're dealing with 101 Dalmatians all with, like, black spots. That's a lot of inking. Yeah. So he came up with this idea and what was, like, yeah, sure. He worded is like, ah, yeah, yeah, you can fool around all you want to. So that's what Ken Anderson did. He was the art director for this, by the way. Okay. Um. Yeah, I saw his name in the credits. So. Yeah. So, 
Um, Disney didn't like it. God. Walt. So. Walt. He said it lost the fantasy element. So. Um. During one of the meetings with uh, Ken Anderson. Um. Walt said, we are not going to have one of those goddamn things. <laughs> and stated to Ken, Ken's never going to be an art director again. Whoa. What? Yeah. Walt. Ken and Disney basically had a fallout. And Ken took this to heart. It was very hard for him. Um, but uh, Ken Anderson saw him again. Um, actually, uh, in 1966, a little, actually, uh, a few weeks before Walt Disney's death. Mm-hmm. And this is what he said. He looked very sick, and I said, gee, it's uh, great to see you, Walt. And he said, y- you know that thing you did on Dalmatians? He didn't say anything else, but he just gave me this look, and I knew all was forgiven. <laughs> and in his opinion, maybe what I did on Dalmatians wasn't so bad. That was the last time I ever saw him. Then a few weeks later, I learned he was gone. Oh, wow. Well, I'm going to have to disagree with Walt again. Like, this movie looks awesome, and I love the fact that the style is so so sketchy looking. Like, it looks like a... Again, it looks like a... a, the The whole thing feels like a beat art piece, and I like it for that reason. I mean, you look at the music, too, for the movie... Um, and, and then, and since it's set in the '60s, it feels like it should, you know, it feels like modern. Well, this for actually time. gets used um, in all Disney features <coughs> uh, after a certain point. For if they would use this technique specifically for the backgrounds, right? Um, up until like 1981, uh, Jungle Book doesn't use this, but um, uh, and either does like the anime uh, Mary Poppins or Bedknobs and Broomsticks, but. It helped cost it, uh, cut it down helped. on costs. Right, right. It wasn't until uh, Fox and the Hound that they went back to fully painted backgrounds. Okay, so that's interesting. I'm just saying here. Well, it remains to be seen if it works for the other movies, but here it works. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It just works. It's it's like it's refreshing to see something styled like this. It's not tired yet. This is the first time we've seen it. So yes, <clears throat> uh, actually. Um, I mean, let's be... We probably should get into the film now. Um, yeah, we should. We've been on this for a little bit, but that's fine. Like, this is a really fascinating history. Exactly. And I feel bad for Ken Anderson, and I still think Walt is a big curmudgeon who just doesn't... <laughs> I, it's just... Yeah, he, he... Again, as we've said before, he he's a businessman. Right. And that's all he thinks is, in, is mainly in business, and then he just... Yeah, but it's very much a stickler. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, like, do you ever wonder if he if he saw it a different way once the movie like brought back? What was it? 14 million, 16 million, 14, 14 million. million. Um, even like, then, even then, I, I mean, he the fact that he would say that uh, and like keep up with it, and not talk to Ken up until like he, he realized he's about to die. Yeah. So. Just, uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm like not in the mood to like, I don't know. I just think Walt was, uh, Walt was wrong. I think Walt, Walt was, was wrong. wrong. I think Walt was wrong. I think Ken Anderson's art direction is very good in this one. Uh, it's start- well, because one, it's fitting for what 
the setting is. Yeah. It's like, well, it lost a fantastical element. Well, look at what this book is. So, um, actually, funny enough, uh, Dottie Smith, um, as soon as Walt asked, uh, she made this book in, uh, or wrote this book in 1956, and then he asked her if he can adapt it in 1959, and she actually had been hoping oh. that Walt Disney would. That's amazing. To turn this into an, into a feature, so. Oh, uh, that's, that's awesome. You know what I realized, too? Mm-hmm. Walt should just bank on dog movies. I mean, look at Lady and the Tramp. Yeah, I know. And that did so well. <laughs> yeah, so this did just... There's just more up, more modern, upbeat films with dogs in them are what the people wanted at the time. Like people were maybe burnt out in the fairy tale a little bit. Well, this I mean, Cinderella did fine. It's here, just that... Here's the thing. I think the art direction for this fits what the film is. So this film uh, takes place in the 1960s in London. And, uh, it's, so, uh, and it's begins actually with this kind of like beat generation jazzy feel, um, with, with, with white and black, like lots of spots, there's spots all over the place, just like almost like ink thrown on a page. Yeah. And that's how it begins for the, um, title sequence. I love the opening, the opening credits. This is different from whatever, from all the title sequences we've ever seen before. This is. Yeah, normally they're very static. I was like, to me, to me, this, watching this right after watching Sleeping Beauty is like thinking, yeah, we've entered, we've entered the 60s. We've entered a new generation of Disney animation. Oh no, completely. Which is really cool. I love this sequence so much. It's so lively. Nothing is static in it. Like things move around and and pop up and fold and squiggle and I love the I actually really love the moment one of the things I like is when each uh, when different people are credited uh, you tend to get different sort of cues about what they do like for example it just starts out pretty basically with like a lot of it starts with all the the dogs being drawn in then it, and them all barking like crazy mm-hmm. and then we get to the spots and then there's the part where George George Bruns gets introduced as the you know credited as the composer and you get a, a musical score made up of spots, and as the as it pans along, each note plays at, each note of the background music plays out with each little spot, you know, blipping bigger. And I like that detail a lot. It's very creative. I really do like that. You get that too with the the uh, backgrounds too, because like you start getting scenes drawn in, uh, then the scenes get colored. And I think at the end, Ken Anderson gets credited, but you start to get a really good picture of what this film is going to feel like just from the opening credits. And it's like, I think it's one of my favorite opening credit sequences in a in a Disney film. I think that's how, honestly, an opening credit sequence should be like. It gives you this... In terms of, I mean, eventually, this will all change. Um, I don't know which movie it'll be when they finally stop doing the opening credits and then just put everything as end credits. Uh, probably whenever they stop having, uh, um, oh gosh, um, RKO is their <laughs> sponsor. <laughs> well, didn't did, did RKO do this? I don't. I don't remember. It was. I don't radio. No, it wasn't. I just remember there was a thing that popped up. But what? this this was a very popular thing for a very long time. Yeah, the opening credits. So. But yeah, so we have this opening credit sequence. It's very good. All the usual suspects are credited. I think, what, six of the nine old men are in this one? Yes. Yeah. Um, we definitely see Mark Davis's influence in this a lot with the character designs. Like, they just, there's a very Davis-Ian element to them. I mean, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of people were credited for this one, but I'm just saying. Well, fun fact uh, about Mark Davis, uh, let me 
Um, this is actually his final film. Um, he would animate Cruella de Vil in this film, but then uh, the reason he he still worked for Disney, but he stopped because he went to work for uh, WED Enterprises. So he would start designing Disneyland rides after this. That's, that ah, oh, that makes so much sense. And yeah, this, this and that's where he really shone. Yeah, this is when he like after this film, he would start animating or designing. Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> That's so cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So we open with uh, with a London flat of uh, Roger and Pongo. And Roger is Pongo's pet, according to Pongo's narration. I love this so much. It's such <laughs> a cute detail. Like, all the dogs consider their humans their pets. Yeah. It's it's a really it's a really fun little thing. I I, I don't know how it works with that with that mindset, but you know we'll see. But anyway, uh, Roger is a composer and he is working on trying to he's plunking away at songs on the piano and his uh it's it's clearly a bachelor pad. Oh, it's totally a bachelor pad. And even uh, Pongo, we're all hearing um uh all most of the narration done throughout this is well I think it's all narration done throughout this is from. Well, Pongo's. really, it's only the beginning, uh, but what? you get little snippets of it at certain points. Yeah, but it, it's it's from Pongo's point of view. Pongo is um, uh, thinking out loud, and he's talking about his life, and is like, we can't live like bachelors anymore. Basically, we need to... Um, we need to find us some girls. We we need to find some ladies. Let's find someone to settle down with. I do like how Pongo is looking at the like magazines that are sitting on. He's like he's got his head resting up against the windowsill. He looks at some magazines. Like I don't have the best judge of what he, <clears throat> what if it's attractive in a human female, but I guess I kind of have an idea. I, I think I have kind of idea. Yeah. So uh, there's this great bit where he's looking out the window at the street, watching uh, women walk by with their dogs, and. Uh, all the dogs, you know, all the owners look like their dogs, or the dogs look like their owners. It's a great little detail. There's the there's the artist, you know, the very beatnik looking artist who's got the the shaggy, uh, long haired dog, and they both walk in a similar way, and they both have a similar sort of gait. They're or they're they're drawn in a very kind of wavy style, like a slouchy style. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, a woman who walks by with her pug, and they look very similar. And then uh, oh <coughs> the the. Uh, poodle and then the woman looks just like her poodle they're both drawn with the squiggly like she's got the 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 puff the puffy parts to it yeah the fringe and i I like how he's looking at each one i i gotta appreciate the fact he's like nah that's it just doesn't suit us yeah like he knows what's best for roger as well yeah which is hilarious and it's not until he sees this woman with an with also a dalmatian he's like he's like well there we go and (laughs) A little creepy, but not too much. Anyway, I don't know. But she's like, oh, they're going to the park. This is perfect. So so Pongo goes, and he he knows that Roger's going to be caught up in his music until... 6 p.m.? 5 p.m. 5 p.m. So he, um, or after 5. So he, he without Roger noticing, he pushes the hand of the clock so that it rings 5. And he's like, starts barking, like, we got to go for a walk. We got to go for a walk. And... Roger sees the clock and goes, oh, it's after five already. So he, he hooks Pongo up. And, and Pongo, Pongo is so eager to go, which is great. He, yeah. By the way, the, the, again, much like with Lady and the Tramp, this movie, they, they animate dog mannerisms so well. Yeah, they do. We all know dogs like this. You're like, I want to go for a walk so bad. I want to go for a walk so bad. And then, mm-hmm. and then he just, it's really funny the way he's like just pulling Roger through the park on the leash. I know. And it's like looking, it's like, must find 
woman and dog. And and this is the first example to me of how George Brun's music really shines in the background because oh, you know yeah. they're walking along and the music's like it matches so well with the animation. Just phenomenal score. Oh yeah, it actually is very again this style as well as the animation all fits together very well. Just it's a it's cohesive. Everything about this movie feels so cohesive. To and me. and that's what the problem I had with Sleeping Beauty. It didn't. It's like yeah, there's some great animation here, but it didn't feel yeah right. There's parts where it just doesn't Match. click as well. This all feels very natural. Um, but yeah, there's this come some slapstick where uh, Ponga finally meets uh, finds a uh, the woman. And he's trying to get Roger to um, talk to the woman or interact with the woman, and then ends up like getting them falling into a lake. And yeah, this it's it's pretty funny. He's trying to use his antics to get them to to like crash it, basically oh, crash into each other. Literally, my stupid dog. Well, dumb dog. Salvation's <laughs> only act dumb. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, so this all this all works out for the best, even though it looks seems pretty disastrous. Uh, like Roger and this woman crash into each other because they're wrapped up in Pongo's leash, and then they both tip into the lake into a pond, and and she's just like, "Oh, my new spring coat and everything," and "Oh, haven't you done enough?" And she's trying to like dry herself. Roger pulls out his own handkerchief and says, "Take mine," but it's also dripping wet. That gets them both laughing. And you realize that there's there's suddenly there's a connection between them. Yeah. And Pongo looks at at the the other Dalmatian, who we learn later is Perdita, and uh, you can see that they they're kind of like, well, the Perdita's like, well, you're kind of ridiculous, but okay, sure. And then time passes, and <clears throat> you actually see them get married at a church. And then this is kind of a a lovely shot where like uh, it's like inside you see them getting married inside a church, but then it pans down. To, like, uh, Pongo and Perdita, like, putting their paws together uh, outside on... Yeah, they're on the church window, at the church window, looking in. And it's kind of like they're getting married as well. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's that's very romantic. Yeah. That's very cute. It is cute. So we have Anita and Roger now as a married couple. And uh, it's been six months, according to Pongo's narration. And they're in a, a little, a, another flat, a little bigger flat. Yeah. In, uh, or, or maybe... Yeah, yeah they're in the flat, um... In uh, like it's it's crammed between a bunch of other flat, similar looking flats, but um, this like they're working. They said, "Oh, it's working out." And uh, once again, Roger's busy with his music. You could hear him upstairs just hammering away at the piano. Mm-hmm. But uh, Pongo explains the whole situation. Now they've got a nanny working for them. I think <clears throat> nanny might have already been working for. Uh, so it's Roger and then his uh, Anita. By the way, we should say her need her his right. new wife. So it's is- Anita. Anita. I think Nanny came with Anita. You think Nanny was already working with Anita? Yeah, because it seems like he moved in with her. Or hmm. if they did, they moved into another place. But, like, yeah, I think Nanny came with Anita. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's great is you could tell it, Nan- Nanny does her, you know, is very concerned with her her work. And, oh, by the way, this uh, who voiced uh, Nanny? Because she's going to oh, be important yeah, later on. Yeah, I mean, she's important now because she's voicing this character. But, you know. Um... I'm I'm trying to look it up. I don't think uh, her character. Uh, 
She goes on to voice uh, someone in Sword in the Stone. I know that. Uh, well, I, I mean, in terms of a uh, voice, it's not. I don't think she's as important. But um, uh, she is. Her voice actress is Martha Wentworth. Martha Wentworth. And it, but it's not the fact that. Um, uh, it's not the fact that um, she. The, it's not the voice actors, but, like, Nanny actually does, uh, was, um, physically based off of, um, another voice actress we know, which is, um... Oh, you told me this before. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out her name. Is Barbara Luddy? Yes, that is it. So... <laughs> another dog movie involving Barbara Luddy. <laughs> yes. Barbara, she, she was the body actress for this. Uh, but, uh... Nanny's voice actress actually does play one of the cows later on as well. Oh, that makes sense. But she also goes on to voice uh, Madame Mim, right? No. Nanny's? No. I uh, thought you were saying that. There was another voice actress who goes on to play Madame Mim. Uh, wait. Wait. Does she? Martha Wentworth? Oh, I... <laughs> There's so many voice actresses in this. It's hard to. Well, okay. I'm sorry. We're we're, yeah. We'll figure it out later. Um, let's get back to the the film. So, yes, yeah. She does go to play Madame Mim. I'm uh, so sorry. Uh, it's okay. Uh, you you told me this before, and I was like, yeah. I thought I just wanted you to confirm. You are correct. Actually, um, another uh, Ben Wright goes on to play a another uh in another Disney movie. But much later on, uh, he goes on to be in Little Mermaid in 1989. And ben Wright does which character? The voice of Grimm, or Grimsby. Oh, wait. He's Grim the, he's a Grimsby. Prince Eric's uh, servant. Oh, okay, but, but who did he play in this? He's Roger. Oh, interesting. Okay, so that, okay, I, now I can, I can probably hear that now that I think about it. Yeah, it's just such a, it's like time passes and then mm -hmm. he plays another, uh, he plays a much more older voice actor. Right. So, so married life is good to the to the Pongos and their pets, as they get referred to later as the Pongos. Yes. Um, so Pongo and Perdita are just like you know chilling out on the windowsill, and uh, Perdita drops a little hint for the audience, but we've already known this that she's she's pregnant, like she's expecting puppies at some point. Mm -hmm. And um, while they're there, and 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 Pongo gives us a little bit of insight about Nanny and how she's good to everybody in the household and whatnot. And it's tea time, but Roger is upstairs, and she actually beats on the nanny actually takes a broom and beats on the ceiling to try and let roger know and went to which Roger responds be down in a minute so that was that's a, that's <laughs> that's a good one yeah uh uh because he's he's got this tune set up but he doesn't have the lyrics yet yeah but it's pretty catchy it is catchy yeah uh but then the serenity is shattered by the arrival of a loud uh, and exotic looking uh car Yep. Uh, with a loud horn, and out of it steps uh, the one, another outrageous Disney villain, and probably considered one of the greats, Corella Deville. And she is amazing. Yeah. So like, <laughs> okay, she's over. The, she is over the top to the extreme. This is a this is an insane character. This character is bonkers. So um, Betty Lou Gerson. Uh, is the voice actress for her. Uh-huh. Uh, you would recognize her, actually, as the narrator uh, for Cinderella. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Corella DeVille is the narrator for Cinderella. Um, 
I, I try to look up if she, she doesn't do any voices uh, that we would know after this except for one. And funny enough, it's not a Disney movie. Really? It's, uh, she plays Francis, you know, the, the uh, fish. Yeah. In Catstone Dance. No, really? Yeah, that's her. Wow. So it's like, when I think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's totally her. Oh, and my then, gosh. Uh, Mary Wicks, who actually does uh, a voice for another um, dog in this movie, would play would be the live reference for Cinder... Or, sorry, for Cruella DeVille. But That's unfortunate, because Cruella has, like, the most, like, bizarre cheekbones I've ever seen <laughs> on a human being. <laughs> Uh, but Mary Wicks would actually later on to go voice uh, Laverne the Gargoyle in Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, very good. It, it's interesting that um, that these, uh, like a lot of voice actors in here would begin here or do something here, but then do much like like famous roles or like big roles, bigger roles or be in movies like later down way later yeah it's interesting maybe the influence of this movie had something to do with it but for the people who like grew up with it i maybe i don't know but um i just gotta say though that like um you know also famously this is a character famously played later in 1996 by glenn close yes So it goes to say that like Corella leaves an impact because so, so oh, she rolls yeah she she rolls up and before she even comes in the house Roger's like that's it and uses her name to give the the most famous song in the movie this yeah. time well really the only song there's in the movie, probably just about. like this song in Dalmatian Plantation and that's it yeah this isn't a, it's a musical somehow it's a musical movie without being a musical there's only like because there's this song and then well. Here's what I've come to realize. All the songs in here are natural. That's right. We don't get, yeah, nothing feels, it it's not a musical movie. The, we, the fact that we have a songwriter for a, ma- a main character or a major character lends itself to having the movie have, a, have songs. Yes, because like, if you think about it, this is all, like nobody's just like singing out of the blue, like we're in a musical. This is more like, He's actually just singing this because he's like, oh my gosh, I just figured it out. Right. Like, you can see someone doing this, like a songwriter doing this. Yeah. And then, um, the same with, like, at the end when he sings Dalmatian Plantation. And then the only other song I can think of is the Canine Crunchies. <laughs> the theme, Canine Crunchies jingle, theme. yeah. And that's it. Like, and that, the, this is all very in the world. This isn't like, we're suddenly bursting out into a musical. This is more just like, yeah, I, you can see this happening. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Cruella Deville, he starts realizes he has lyrics for it about basically. So I was wondering, like, who is Cruella Deville? What is she doing here? What is her place here? So this scene, having looked at it as an adult, this whole scene I think sums up what how, how like I I wondered how much the other characters other than Anita. And maybe Nanny knew Corella, or, or Perdita knew Corella before any of this happened. Mm-hmm. But um, based on people's actions in this scene, Roger and other characters, she's been around before. Like she's oh, come yeah. around their their flat before to bother them. Oh yeah. And this is interesting to me because I think this sums up this scene sums up how everybody feels about Corella very well, and also how Corella feels about them. Now. But so, so I didn't know this when I was a kid. I just assumed, oh, this is the first time Pongo and Roger have met Corella. But no, the context clues are there. 
Oh, they've yeah. known her for a little while, at least until... I would imagine that Cruella was that person who showed up at their wedding without being invited, and yet, like, invited herself to the wedding, and then yeah. was like, just like, oh, I guess the invitation was lost. So once again, another Disney villain who wasn't invited somewhere. Uh, but that's just me. That's just speculation. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, but, but... Um, this is one of my, this is my favorite scene in the movie with Roger, weirdly enough, because he's being such a troll. I love when he goes upstairs and he's playing the piano loudly while stomping on the, the look on his face as he's stomping on the floor and like playing a trumpet and a trombone at the floor. So the song carries through very loudly. Just to annoy. Just to, to annoy everybody. Well, mostly well, Cruella. Cruella. That's but Cruella doesn't even notice, which is odd. Well, she's yella- yelling over him and all that. Yeah. But, but it's hilarious. You can just tell Roger is just, like, eating up the fact that he just came up with the lyrics. And you know he came up with these lyrics not out because the name matched up, but because he knows how much of a terrible person Cruella is. This is how he feels about her. Well, apparently, because I was wondering, like, why is she here? What What is their purpose? And she's Anita's old... Uh, school friend yeah and i'm like what that's a, okay i feel so in the i remember in the new movie the 1996 one uh cruella Deville was her boss right and honestly i think that's a more stronger reason for her to I, win i mean i guess but i i, I kind of like the idea that anita that anita and and uh cruella like tangentially like knew each other in college or whatever or yeah, in school or like but 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 Corella was one of those people who like latched onto Anita and just like doesn't take hints very well. So she's just like like Anita's polite to her, but I don't know if they were ever really friends. Yeah, like she just thinks, oh, this woman was my friend, and I totally just invite myself into her life and all that. Yeah, she just she barges into everything they do and is just loud and obnoxious, and no one has the heart to tell her that she's not wanted around, or no one has the. No one feels like they need to tell her she's not around because they're, like, too polite to do that. But she's the most obnoxious person and uh, clearly has no moral scruples because if Roger's song is to be believed before we do this, um, Roger's being pretty venomous. But but once the door opens and Corella enters with her long cigarette and her fur coat and her just boisterous attitude she's and done- those scary, scary cheekbones that you could grab and rev, like... <laughs> motorcycle handlebars <laughs> like it's the god her face is the weirdest looking face it's <laughs> there's a scene later in the movie I'll, I'll get to it where every time Cruella does a certain thing i would make a noise that would make kayla laugh but we'll talk about this in a bit um god this is it's it's fascinating to me rewatching this scene i love this scene well, here's the thing. She's definitely a rich woman. Basically, mm-hmm. obviously got whatever she wanted. Right. And like felt she feels the her, that she can say whatever you want cuz she like laughs over the fact like, "Oh my gosh, of course you would totally get money." <laughs> Where like like you'd marry this poor guy like he would ever set like uh help you out. And She's just, so like, condescending. Yeah, she and she just <laughs>, laughs about it. Um everything's a big joke to her. Yeah, and then um, she would... Basically, she's only there because she's waiting for the puppies to arrive. She doesn't tell them that that's why she's she's there. She's just... Comes to visit, basically. <laughs> where are they? Where are they? For heaven's sakes, where are they? And they're... And it's like, well, the puppies won't arrive. Oh, okay. Well, I'll be back in a few weeks then. Well, the first sign that you get that someone... The only person there who who is absolutely, like... Well, there's two, there's two people there who will not put up with Corella's crap. 
Pongo and Perdita, but they do it in different ways. Yeah. Perdita hears her coming and actually goes and hides under the like the stove. Yeah. Which is like says a lot. And Pongo is just growling at her when she's just like, "Hey, dog, hey, dog." And um, yeah. And then she, yeah, she's just a very obnoxious character. And I, the thing is, I love her. <laughs> I, I, I I do too. I love like her. She's played so well. That she's not annoying or like, oh, God, it's like you hate her, but you love to hate her. Yeah, she's a she's a one of those villains that that is just so she she's another villain who chews scenery, but she oh, actually yeah. chews scenery. Unlike Maleficent, who's got this like austere, like commanding presence. Cruella just shows up and just ruins everything. And you love watching her do it. Yeah, exactly. So. So they, she, so Corella leaves almost as soon as she arrives when she finds out there's no puppies. And which Roger really super casually comes downstairs and... At first you think Cruella mm-hmm. is a devil. Through. Well, we do. Um, <laughs> um, and I love how Anita's like, you know, you can't, you, she'll hear you, you know, all that stuff. But, but he's still, like, she, you could tell she's somewhat annoyed with him, but you know she can't. Because he's not wrong. You know, she actually feels that way about Cruella as well. I think that's why she's willing to, like, roll with it. She's like, oh, you're an idiot. But she's laughing at the same time because he he's willing to say these things that she's not. And again, this really endears Roger to me as a character. And you can see there is, I think what I like about it, because you didn't really notice it before, but during this part, there is a connection there. There is, like, a romance. Like, you can tell they do have chemistry, and I like that. Do you like my new song? Tum tum dee tum tum. Yeah, they they there's it's not much, but they're they're a good couple. Yeah, they are a good couple. You you can sense the chemistry during this part. Yeah, definitely. Um, but poor Perdita is like worried because she's like again she's pregnant. And she she's worried that basically Corel is going to take her do- her puppies away from her, and she's like Pongo and Perdita. No, that's the only reason she's there. She wants their puppies, and they don't know why she wants the puppies. But it's definitely hinted at when you, when the, when. Anita comments, is that a new fur coat? And, and you find out that Corella's main obsession is, is furs. Yes. She loves furs. And uh, so then uh, we get to the part where she's, uh, our Perdita's now giving birth to the puppies. And actually, this is based off a true scene in Dottie Smith's life. Uh, her Dalmatians, or one of her Dalmatians, actually did have 15 puppies. And uh, I'll tell you, and the rest of it is also true, too, but, like, we'll keep with the... Yes, this entire thing is a true story. No. <laughs> yeah. But, like, uh, she's had, like, the uh, Perdita's giving birth, and then um, uh, she ends up having 15 dogs. Mm-hmm. But then there's a scene where Nanny comes out, and it's, like, 14, and she's holding, like, uh... Like uh, this, she's cloth. holding she's holding a, a a something swaddled in a in a little cloth, and she's like, "We lost one," and it's like, "Oh, you don't you don't see the what she, you don't see what's in there, but you can tell it's probably one of the the pups." So um, Roger's like, "I wonder," and starts uh, like uh, using his hand to rub it. But I think uh, David, you were like, "Oh, why was he doing that?" And I'm like, well, "I think he's trying to get his heart started," is what right. And actually, this is Dottie Smith. This happened too. One of the uh, uh, one of them was born lifeless, and her husband was able to revive it. Aww. Yeah, this is how he did that too. 
uh, like this actually happened in Dottie Smith's life, and then uh, Roger does that is able to bring one of the dogs back to life or the puppies back to life, and they named him uh, Lucky. Oh yeah, that's right. It's so cute when his little nose comes out. Yeah, and you're like, oh. This is a good scene too because like it's during a dark and stormy night in this, as Pongo says, in October. So the puppies are born. It's and, it's London, of course. It's dark and stormy. We're like, <laughs> but it's he, he it's particularly dark and stormy. Okay. And um, I love how they're both in the other room. They they're it's just like any like parody of any like old maternity ward kind of thing where they're not allowed to be in there. So they're sitting in the kitchen and Roger, Roger seems more nervous than Pongo. Yeah. He's sitting there puffing the pipe, like his pipe, like crazy. So when the, so they're, so Pongo and, and, and there's a huge relief to Pongo and to, um, Roger that everything's okay. All the puppies are fine. And the moment is of course spoiled when who shows up at the door uninvited, but Corella DeVille once again. It's like, how'd she get in? Yeah. She just let herself in. And then is like, oh my gosh, there's 15 puppies. And then she sees the one, the Lucky who has just been bro- brought back to life and is like, ew, it's white. It's all white. There's no spots. What a horrid white rat. And then Nanny and then Anita mentioned that they'll have spots later. And she's like, oh, well, um, how much do you want for them? And she just starts writing a check. Like she just assumes they're going to sell the puppies to her. And she's like, well, we don't want to sell them. And she's like, oh, of course you don't. You like, you don't want this money really with what Roger makes. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> she <laughs> she's really condescending. She is the worst person, and and you and t- you don't you start to see her her facade, her like the the ease the super flimsy facade she's built cave in when Roger refuses to give Corella well, what she wants. Because again, as we established, Corella just gets what she wants all the time. Well, here's the funny part: you see Roger just like frozen in anger, just like. Oh. He's covered with ink from her pen too, so he's got spots now. Yeah, and because her pen breaks and like splurts all over both he and Pongo. And then he's like, "You're you're not getting a single one of them." And that, that that's final. And Cruella loses it and swears, and she says, "I don't care what you do with them. Drown them for all I care." She rips the check up and she says, "I'll get even with you, you fools, you you idiots!" And Closes. slams the door and takes off into the night. So they get to keep all 15 dogs. Yeah. By the way, Dottie Smith did not keep all 15 dogs. She did give, she did sell most of them, but kept a couple. That's fair. I mean, I, I'm actually kind of shocked that. She had nine Dalmatians for, right. for crying out loud. I'm kind of shocked that, that Roger and Anita agreed to keep all the puppies. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of puppies. I mean, that's a big litter, too, when you like, think about it. Yeah, that's huge. So, so yeah, um, I bet... Pongo is very proud of his pet, Roger, when Roger is the one who tells him off. We get, um, we jump ahead in time. Oh, Perdita's relieved, too, that when Pongo tells her that, see, what did I tell you? Roger told that devil woman off, and she won't come and bother our puppies anymore. Um, oh, poor Pongo. Yeah. Little does he know. So we jumped in a little while later, and now the puppies are a little older, and they're all watching TV. They're watching, um, oh my gosh, what's the- Thunderbolt? Thunderbolt. Is the name of the- it's a west. It's a western starring a dog, apparently. Yep. And uh, he's fighting a bandit in the rocks, and all the kids love this show. All the pups love this show. Now, only a few of the fifteen puppies are named. We know Patch. We know Rolly. We know uh, Lucky. Lucky's always the one who puts his paws up on the TV and looks right at it. Yeah. Uh, now, by the way, for all the dog barks, Clarence Nash, who's known for Donald Duck, does the dog barks for the film. 
when they're not using real dog barks on occasion. Yes. Yeah. That's, uh, a, that's appropriate, yeah. Clarence yeah. Nash is amazing. Now, here's the funny part. Um, Gracie, our dog, uh, when she hears a dog bark, like a real dog bark, you can tell her she like perks up and she's like, what's that? I hear a dog bark. I must bark at it back. N- there is only a couple times she did that. So it's obvious like most of the dog barks in this were fake. Yeah. So, but there were a couple instances in the movie when we were watching it when she did bark. Yeah, that's a, that was that, when the real dog was used. Yeah, so. so it's interesting. Like, she's basically our like um, our test for like, okay, these are all fake. Who cares? And then as soon as she hears a real dog bark, she's like, "What's that?" Okay, that one's not Clarence Nash. <laughs> that's not Clarence. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, they end up they wrap up their show. This scene is this scene is cute, but no reason to focus on it too long. Well, the only thing is uh there is the canine crunchies commercials, and actually the person singing that is the uh voice of Anastasia from Cinderella. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that that just a cute thing. At the canine crunchies. Uh sponsored by Canine Crunchies. So they're gonna they're gonna Pongo and Pretty are gonna go for their evening walk, but the puppies all have to go to bed. I think the reason they did this part was just so we can get a little bit of an attachment to the puppies and then see, like, how the parents interact a little bit. Just to... And it, it makes No, sense. it's a good scene. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's an important... It's a scene for establishment, but it also gets the, the cozy family life thing established. Yeah. We get, we get, I'm hungry, mother, which is Rolly's... Oh, he's the fat one, so of course, that's his gag. Ugh. He must always be hungry. He's, he's the hungry one. I'm not sleepy. I'm hungry. It's like, you know, I kind of feel you at times, kid. <laughs> I do. Um, but yeah, not a lot we don't get a lot of I mean, there's fifteen of them. That's a lot to keep track of. But we get the we they pick two or three to kind of focus on as the ones with the you know, the per- personalities, I guess. Yeah. There's only there's fifteen of them. There's only so much Yeah. But anyway, they go to bed um after there's a little there's a cute little bit here where the canine crunchies guys is, is trying to explain and right before Pongo turns the TV off, the guy looks shocked. Like, oh no, don't. And then it's off. <laughs> That's funny. Which is really funny. Um, so yeah, while uh, Pongo, or while Pongo Perdita and their pets are out on a walk, uh, they pass a van on the street. And the, in the van are two men reading a newspaper. And those men are uh, the Battens, Horace and Jasper. And uh, uh, I did not realize. So um, Jasper is played by... J. Pat O'Malley. Now, yes, a wizard of voice acting. By I, the way, I did not realize this. Like I was, it's like he sounds familiar, and you realize, oh, wow, he's done a lot. Well, I mean, I know you, you know, he's done a lot, but I, I, I pointed out the first thing I knew. J. The first thing that popped into my head, of course, with J. Pat O'Malley is he used to voice the 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 pirate who was dunking the mayor in the well in the original Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, speak up, you bilge rat. Where be the treasure? You know. Well, he before he got replaced with a dumb, stupid, dumb. Where's Jack Sparrow? Where's Jack Sparrow? Dialogue. Anyway. Uh. Well, in the Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, he was Cyril, you know, the horse, as well as Mr. Winky. That's right. Uh, in Alice in Wonderland, he was Tweedledee and Tweedledum, uh, Walrusson the Carpenter, and Mother Oyster. Like that whole scene. That's that's all him. That's all J. Pat O'Malley. Um, he's Jasper in this. Also, he's the colonel. Oh, he's the colonel in this, too? Yeah. Oh, the colonel's great. And then, <laughs> so, yeah. um, he goes on to basically be, uh, Dick Van Dyke's, uh, 
uh, in Mary Poppins, his uh, uh, voice coach. <laughs> but he does other stuff like the Pearly Drummer and stuff like that. One of the Huntsmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes on to be in Jungle Book as Colonel Hathi. Uh, it, it's just, he's, he go, he just, um, uh, he's Otto the Blacksmith in Robin Hood. It, he does a lot. Like, a, he's definitely a Disney veteran. Oh yeah, no doubt. So, it's funny, so he, he's here playing this part alongside, uh, alongside Horace. Yes. And, uh, these two are also interesting characters in their own right. They're kind of your typical bum- bungling uh, bungling bad guys. Yeah, they're, they're burglars, basically. So they go. They're not very good ones either. Like they're like one. They're like if we get caught again, that's it. That's it. There's no way we're gonna get out of this one. And it's like ah, oh, it's gonna be an easy enough job. And they they putt putt their little rickety old truck around the corner. And ah. uh, and then try to enter in because Nanny's watching the puppies and what is it like? They're the electric company. They claim they're the electric company. Horse. Like, a, like, it's obviously written on, and then they accidentally spelled electric wrong or something. Yeah, so they, like, drew another thing in there. I gotta say, Jasper does try. He's got something about a new a new thing in Parliament having come up where they have to come in and inspect everything. Of course, uh, Nanny's having none of it, so they barge their way in, and there's a bit of slapstick with them and Nanny, where they end up getting Nanny stuck in the uh, the attic. Yep. And, and while Jasper's got the door closed, Horace... Leaves with a bag, a clearly wiggling bag, and it's so sad. Actually, when she finally gets out, she said the puppies are gone, and she calls. She she's out in the street, and she's calling like police, somebody, and uh, starts crying. You're like, oh, well, yeah. It's it was a it was a kidnapping. It's worse than a burglary. Like it's so sad, and like like you don't get to see the immediate reaction of Ron. Like what I think is really tragic is like you want you know that. The um, the the all the the dog parents and the dogs themselves are not are not aware of this. So we don't, but we don't see them come back in their initial horror. You at see what's it happened. in the, you see it from Corella's point of view, who's yeah. reading it in the newspapers in bed. It's big news too. It's on like the front page. It's like gosh, like guess slow news day. Wow. No, I mean, well, it's pretty brazen when someone's just like comes into your house and takes all your puppies. That's pretty intense. I mean, that's a good news story. Well, like in London. In the yes. 60s? It's a big story. Well, I mean, think in about... In the 60s? This is the same studio that made the Baby Weems short, remember? Okay, yeah. Fine, <laughs> fine. But Corella is in bed reading this with her another, another long time. Her hair is in curlers. It's horrifying. She is, a, she, is a, <laughs> she is a visage of death, this woman. So um, they get a call. She gets a call from the Baddens. Saying that they, they they don't like where this is going and they wanna they want out they want out they want their they want their boodle and uh, it's in the papers and but she's like no you have to get the job done the job must be done so you realize she's the one who set this all up yeah Cruella is I mean if it wasn't obvious before Cruella was behind everything um, and just to add insult to injury she calls um, she calls Anita. And feign sympathy, like saying, oh, do you have any idea? Did you go to the police? Did you do all this stuff? Roger's having none of it. Roger actually grabs the phone from Anita and yells, where are they? <laughs> <laughs> but of course, like, I, I love that he, he suspects her right away. He knows what's up. But again, oh. Anita's politeness forbades her from like being like, no, Corella, 
I guess they must have had some connection at one point. Like she wouldn't, she's eccentric, but she wouldn't do anything like this, you know. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing, she does seem super nice. She's like Anita. Anita. Yeah, she's so fake, and everybody knows it. Yeah. But this is the interesting bit. Um, so Pongo goes to Perdita, and you can tell this is it. I mean, obviously, as a mother, as as someone who is, you know, like like yeah. this has hit Perdita really hard. Oh yeah. So then, um, is this the part where they do Twilight Bark? Yeah, they're, they they agree that they have to do the Twilight Bark. So they're like, the humans can't do anything. We have to be the ones to do this. So the next time they go for a walk and they're at the hill of the park, Pongo gets the barking chain going. And this leads from one dog to the other dogs. It, it is kind of like a game of telephone in a weird way. Yeah, but it's a, it's a be- dogs are better at it than we are. Maybe oh, yeah. because it's in code. Most like, barking likely. seems like it's in code. That's based on what we get from the colonel later. Like, as he's translating it. And then, um... Uh, it's funny, because there's so many different dogs. Like, uh, there's Danny... Danny uh, the Great Dane? Yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, it's like Danny. Oh! Woof! Uh, woof. And this Danny ev- has my favorite bark. Yes. This eventually gets to, uh... S- uh, the sergeant, the colonel... Oh well, well, well. First, we should we should acknowledge like the fun cameo that comes up here because we have a, we have a whole scene oh, yeah. where it goes to all these different all dogs these and it, do- you see it travel across London from dog to dog. Uh, we get cameos of of Jacques, which is funny because Jacques is supposed to be in America, but it, it's cute. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a Scotty that looks like Jacques, and he barks up a drain pipe. We see all the other dogs that were walked earlier in the movie, the ones that. Um, the ones that Pongo was oh, like considering, yeah. but there's a great bit where as the as the word travels, it just keeps going wider and like wider across London. The poodle actually London. jumps up on the car while they're driving, and then she's like, "Coco, get down from here!" This <laughs> His name's Coco. Um, and they're- oh, but but uh, there's a pet shop where there's a bunch of pop puppies answering it. But you see, uh, you see. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, what's her name? Patty. No. No, it's not Peggy. Peggy. Yeah. You see Peg. From a Peg and uh, I don't remember the bulldog's name, but from Lady and the Tramp, they're both in the pet shop as well. <laughs> Glad to know they're about to get homes. Hopefully. Yeah, they finally got somewhere better. So no, it's good to see all these pups again, and um, and yeah, and I love how it goes out of London, and the whole city's going crazy with dog barks. Goes out to the countryside, and it's just one lone dog barking to another lone dog on like a barge going down a river. Finally, it reaches uh, Towser at Old Towser at Withermarsh. And Towser mentions to the goose that's his friend that he needs to make sure this reaches the colonel. That's when we get the colonel, the captain, and Sergeant Tibbs. And captain's voiced by Thurl Ravenscroft. Captain's a horse, by the way. Yes, I don't care. He's voiced by Thurl Ravenscroft. He's he's well-versed in this. I noticed what's interesting is, like, once again, dogs taking after their owners, because this is, like, the stable of someone who was in a, the uh, the British Cavalry. Like, oh, yeah. Ninth Division or something like that. So, and the cat's also like is a sergeant, and she he he sorry uh, he does uh, whatever the colonel says. Like yes, sir, kind of sir. Oh, and the colonel is a big old sheepdog, and it makes it hilarious. So he he looks like a blustery British old blustery British colonel. So I think he's a sheepdog, right? Yeah. yeah. And they hear that there's 15 puppies. Realize that because um, when they realize that that there is a. Car or like there's a place nearby. Or- yeah, Sergeant Tibbs mentions that on reconnaissance he's heard um, puppy barking coming from Hell Hall, 
the old DeVille place. And that's when, for us, as the audience, it comes together. But they haven't connected it yet. Mm-hmm. So Hell Hall is this old, dilapidated mansion nearby. And um, a lot of people say it's haunted. Um, but um, Sergeant Tibbs and the colonel go to check it out. So, uh, no, it's just uh, Sergeant Tibbs, right? Well, the first it's Sergeant Tibbs and, and the colonel. They go together. But Tibbs is the only one who's going to be able to fit into the door because the colonel's a big dog. Now, um, uh, this is a good bit here where we get we get some personality bits with Tibbs, and Tibbs is funny, and he's very loyal to the colonel, but, you know. But, yeah, uh, they say the old place is haunted. A bunch of nonsense that. A bunch of ominous clouds roll behind the house, and Tibbs is like, mm. you know. <laughs> but, yeah, Tibbs gets in there, right? And then discovers, like, oh, are you, it's like, uh, uh, were you stolen? They're like, he sees, like, these, like, Dalmatian puppies, and they're like, oh, no, we're paid for. Like, paid for you. They're like, yeah, there's... There's 99 of us. 90, yeah, and he's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, this room is full of puppies. Like, all all Dalmatian puppies, and, uh... Now, the Battens are already here watching TV, right? Yeah, they're playing... We're watching What's My Crime, which is a joke off of What's My Line. Oh, wait, they're not... Wait, they're not watching TV in this scene with Tibbs yet. I thought right? they were, because, like... No, because this is him doing his first scouting run. First, what they're doing is they're... They're, um... They're eating... Oh, no, they're... No, the puppies are watching TV, but it's an old cartoon. Remember? Oh, that's right. It's, like, oh. Dancing Flowers, and it looks like a Silly Symphonies cartoon. That's right, because later on, they watch What's My Crime. Right. Because I remember this very specifically, Hey, Oris, watch me get, pin his lordship straight on the conch. And he throws a, uh, a dart at a, yeah. at a painting and it gets him right in the nose. And they're, <laughs> so these two are, these two are drinking and eating a sandwich and Tibbs is um, trying Just, to get the puppies to leave with them. But mm-hmm. they catch him in the act and uh, almost throw, you know, crush him with a bottle of wine, but he escapes. Yep. Well, no, because one of the things he wanted to figure out first was, it was a scouting room, because he wanted to figure out how, like, they said, oh, there's some puppies over there, we don't know how many, and it, the, he realized there's 15 of them. It is the 15. Yeah, but they're among the they're among 99 yeah. Dalmatians in general. Yes. But yeah, so, um, the Barking Shane gets word back to, eventually oh. back to po- the, the Pongos, right? Yes. Okay, so, um... Think I'm trying to remember what if anything happened in between there, but yeah, eventually word does get back or barks and get back to the Pongos. Yeah, and then they meet up. They re- like don't they meet up with a dog? And then they said you it's at they're at the old Deville house. Yeah, they meet up with the they meet up with the Great Dane, um, and uh, more things happen. Oh yeah, they meet yeah. They meet up with the Great Dane. They end up getting, going out the back door, and the ba- Great Dane mentions that they need to go to Withermarsh to see Old Towser, and from there go to the Deville place. And that's when they know. That's when they know for sure yeah, what's going the, on. The Deville place. The Deville place. So the interesting thing about Hell Hall, I realize, is that yeah, Corilla is probably from an old money family, but she's let that she doesn't live in the the family no mansion. She, she has her own place now. Yeah, she, she's let that place fall into disrepair. So and then um. Yeah, so, and then there's a point where Tibbs is, tries to go save the puppies again. Uh, first you get a little montage of the of Pongo and Perdita trying to get to uh, Withermarsh. Oh, yeah. And they have to, and they it starts snowing. Long, yeah, they, long. they go through blizzard conditions. Winter has definitely hit. 
And especially outside of London. I think at this point you realize this is going to be a journey movie. Yeah, so we get a little montage of them trying to go places, but um, they don't... Meanwhile, the colonel, the captain, and and Sergeant Tibbs, they have no idea if if they're coming, if they've got word. So, um, yeah, they're just like, well, we might have to take care of this ourselves, especially because they see Cruella's car come up to Hell Hall. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, we, there's no, we, we might be there's, too late. We have to do something. So Corell comes up and he witnesses, basically is yelling at uh, Horace and Jasper saying like, the police are here and are like the, looking at it and we have to, they have to do the job tonight. Yeah. So we, it gets pretty cryptic. She says, how are you going to, you know, they're trying to watch their show. They clearly don't care. They're, oh yeah. So this is what's my crime. This is, they're watching what's my crime. Right this now. is hilarious, but we'll get to that in a sec. Um, but yeah, she's she's yelling at them that they have to they have to kill the dogs basically. Bash them on the head and then skin them. Yeah, it's ugh. Yeah, <laughs> it's so dark. It's like it becomes clear she wants to make a fur coat at them. Yeah, so clearly making her the worst person in the entire universe. Yeah, you know she could she probably she probably her previous adventure probably involved her like clubbing baby seals or something. You God, know, like, seriously. But like, but, like, it's, like, they're, like, well, why not wait till they're bigger so you can make more? She's, like, it, it has to be done tonight. doesn't matter. And I'm, like, jeez. Well, is puppy fur, like, softer? Is that part of it? No. She just needed to do it tonight because it's, like, but why wait to get, why get puppies then? If you want, oh, gosh. It's just so. She's a terrible person. She's impatient. Uh, someone should just grab those cheekbone handles and just slam her <laughs> into a wall. Anyway, but she leaves. Uh, we get a little his foreshadowing of how dilapidated the house is because as she slams the door, a piece of masonry breaks off the ceiling and falls onto Horace's head. But yeah, they decide they're going to finish their show regardless. Oh yeah, she's going to be back in the morning to like yeah, check yeah, on them. Let's just finish our show. Yeah. So this show, it, it should be noted, this show is hilarious because it's a parody of What's My Line, but they're trying to, it's a, it's a panel of uh, criminal investigators trying to figure out what this person's crime was. Yeah. And they only have so much time yeah, to do it. That was what you think is they know who the guy is on TV that <laughs> went to jail. That's right. Horace and Jasper know the guy. Like that's on What's My Crime? And they're, yeah. And they're like, hey, look, it's him. Yeah. While they're distracted with this, Tibbs is sneaking in trying to get the puppies to leave with them. And he manages to get it to work. Like he, There's the, a hole in the wall that he came through, so. And then uh, the, one of the, it, it does get kind of tense because they're like, the show's almost over. And he gets all of them except for Lucky, who's still watching TV. Because Lucky is easily distracted. Exactly. And then finally is able to g- get him through. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is kind of tense because it's like, uh, there's moments where like, they're up and they're like, oh my gosh, all the puppies are gone. Where are they? And they're trying to look for them. And then the cat, they hear a noise. And you're like, no. And oh yeah, because they realize they flew the coop. By the way, and and Jasper's got a fireplace poker, and Horace has got a chair leg that he broke off, and they're gonna, they're, yeah, they're gonna pop him on the head. Yeah, That's what they're, they're gonna, gonna do. kill him. Ah! And then, like, there was one point, where, like, they're all, they're like trying to look for him, and then the, there, there's a point. It's like, hey, yeah, they are, and then <laughs> the cat noise, like, <laughs> stock cat noises. Tibbs jumps on. This is a good scene because, like, they're like it, it's a little tense because they're like creeping through the house at night with the flashlights, and the puppies are barely trying to avoid them. And then it gets all chaotic when 
all the puppies go crazy and start running around, and we get slapstick with uh, Horace and Jasper. Well, because it's and they're all barking together. It's like you're trying to hide nine hundred and ninety nine. No, Wait. sorry, ninety nine. Sorry, not 990. It is a haunted mansion. I'm not surprised. Sorry, sorry. No, it's okay. We've, we've been on, we went on the haunted mansion like twice yesterday. It was amazing. Yes. Uh, 99 dogs. And they're, you're, it's like, really? You're trying to hide 99 dogs in, away from like two people? Like, really? <laughs> it's, well, and the thing is, at some points, it's not, they can't hide. It's just them being ridiculous. It helps that the colonel. By the time that that the colonel is, you know, going to call for help, he's running across the ice, slipping and barking. And that's when Pongo and Perdita finally show up and they burst into the house. And like good protective parents, they start attacking uh, Horace and Jasper. Exactly. They're like, no, you took our babies. We will destroy you. Yeah, there's a big now they don't outright maul them, but they do like, you know, flummox them, basically, Mm. and fight, fight back. Um, one of the things I think that happens that's significant is Pongo looks like he's going to get cracked on the head at one point and something happens. Oh yeah. I think, I think our, our bands crashed into the wall and causes a bunch more of the masonry to fall on them. So while they're distracted, Pongo, Perdita and the last of the puppies are able to get outside mm-hmm. and they all take off, but it's easy to follow their paw prints in the snow, which becomes a recurring problem for them. Yeah, this does take place during the winter. It is snowing, and this is an issue because they're dogs that make paw prints. Let's face it. Yeah. So come morning, like they, or they, they, the, the, but yeah, the the military group have done their job, and the puppies are out of there. And again, what's fun is like we took a bit, a little bit of a break from the pongos, but we focused on these additional side characters, you know, uh, with the colonel and Tibbs. And they're good characters in their own right. They're pretty funny. And I enjoy the slapstick of this movie quite a bit. So I do too. This is, a, this is fun. This movie is so much fun. Um, we've been here for... Let's see if we can... Let's see if we can... Where, where are we at right now? Where are uh, we? We're at the part where they discovered there's 999 at the... Wow, the puppies increased exponentially once and again. Like, I guess we take all of them. Yeah, well, we'll just take all of them back with us. There's so many. So there's 101 Dalmatians, and their goal is to find a way to get back home. Yeah, they have to get to London in the snow. In the snow. Um, and, uh... The journey is perilous. It is, especially because they're constantly being pursued by... Because when Corella finds out, she's like, we we got to find their tracks. That's how we'll find them. She Here's the thing, much like Maleficent... Um, Corella is determined to not let these dogs get the best of her. She wants that coat. Yeah. She wants that coat so bad. She is very determined. And they're both... I mean, Horace and Jasper's like, we're done. We're tired. We don't want to do this. She's like, I will tell the police that you kidnapped the puppy. She's blackmailing them, basically, yeah. at this point. She paid. She was trying to pay him, and then and now she's like, no, you're getting blackmailed now if you don't do this. Right. Like, she is definitely determined. And because it was a front head, headline news, they know that they could be put away for a long time as a result. Like, they're going to be... They're, they'll never be able to do, like, anything ever again. So, uh, that said, uh, perilous journey for the dogs. They try to avoid the road. Try to avoid all these major locations. There's a point when they're, like, walking. Oh, oh, I forgot about one really good bit of slapstick. And that's when when they leave the barn for the first time. And uh, there's that bit where Sergeant Tibbs is on the captain's head. Fire one. Oh, yeah, because oh, the yeah, horse kicks them. There's a point where uh, they find them in the... Uh... 
uh, at the barn, and then they're trying to look for him, but then uh, Sergeant Tibbs is using uh, the <laughs> captain as, like, a... Like, using his ears to, like, uh, to control how he kicks them. Yeah, it's a good scene. It is a funny bit. Yeah, we were, we were both laughing out loud during that part. It's funny how well this movie mo- holds up in terms it of does. comedy. It really does hold up. Um, so, anyway, they've been walking, and it's, like, it's really snowing. They're getting tired. Like, it's 99 puppies, and they've walked so far. And the pu- it's so sad for the puppies. You see them, like, just endearing it. Like, these puppies are going to die of frostbite any moment. It's going to be so sad. But then who should show up but Lassie? Wait. No, it's not Lassie. It, it's a... It's a collie that comes up and is like, there is a dairy farm over there and there's warmth and food and shelter if they want to rest. And they're like, yes. So by the way, the, by this point, the I mean, the, in the dog world, especially the uh, the whole the whole family has gotten famous. There's just like because their plight has been hugely understood by the dog. So now like every dog that they meet is on their side. Oh, yeah. Which is it's again, it's endearing. Yeah. This nameless collie goes above and beyond to like help them out. Mm-hmm. And he takes them all to the dairy barn. And so do the cows. The cows who are there like, are like, oh, there's plenty of warm milk here. And they literally just let the let the <laughs> the pups uh, go to their udders. Yep. And drink milk. Yep. So I, I'm surprised that made it to pass the sensors. So. Well, there's a little bit where they're like, oh, it's fine. And then one of the cows goes like, ooh, like she got bit a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the little darlings. It's really funny. Um, and then so they all can rest and sleep and they've been fed and all is good in the world, sort of, for the short period of time, but then they have to go back and walk. Yeah, but they've, they, now they have a definite plan. They're going to get to the next, uh, they're going to get, what, like, Din, Dinsburg? Dimsburg? Yes. They're, they need to go there next because, uh, the collie tells them there's a Labrador there who will help them get back to London. Yeah. I, I love the, like, idea that these dogs have this network that, that yeah, no one knows about. Yeah, and they're all helping each other out. It's yeah. quite endearing. It's really cute. Yeah, it's it's a very sweet, we, this very cool life of dogs situation here. And it could conceivably exist in the same universe as Lady and the Tramp. I mean, obviously, we saw some of those dogs earlier, but, but yeah. Um, so, Corella and the Battens are catching, you know, are kind of have an idea that they're going to be in Dinsburg because... They find some of Pongo's, or they find some of the Dalmatian tracks, even though uh, Pongo tries to do a smart thing, which I don't think a Dalmatian would normally do, because if you, as you said, Kayla, they historically, are. they're not very smart. Uh, he actually brushes their tracks off the road with a tree branch. Yeah, he does. But she still sees the tracks on either side. Yeah, um... So they are able to find him in Dinsburg, and they're like, oh no, what are we gonna do? Because... Okay, so they're in Dimsburg. The Black Labrador says there is a truck that's going to go to London. We're going to help you get on that truck. Yeah, his his uh, his pet is a grocer, a grocer. So he like it normally takes food and supplies from the countryside to London in this truck. So while the engine's being repaired, they have a chance to get on board. But guess who's there? Cruella and the cronies. Oh, yeah, that's right. So they keep doing this thing where whenever Cruella drives by looking into windows very closely, she has this just intense look on her face. And every time she went by, I leaned toward Kayla and went, nah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's, what's, that's what it's having. She goes by a second time, nah. <laughs> just seems so angry. So the, I, I commented to Kayla, like, wow, that laboratory just is drawn exactly like them. It's just black, you know, because it's a black lab. But yeah. then they all roll in soot, and they all look like labs. 
And that's how they get away. It's like, oh, why would... It's like, of course, those are totally just black Labradors. There's a lot... There sure are a lot of black Labs. Now, I I know that that makes everybody suspicious, but they don't put two and two together. Well, Horace does. You don't suppose they could have disguised themselves. Of course, Horace... And Horace Horace is the smart one. He always comes up with these ideas before Jasper does. Jasper clearly is the ringleader. You idiot. And yet, if they had just listened to Horace... Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, they're they're doing fine, and despite the fact that there's a lot of black lab puppies running around in little intervals getting toward this truck, uh, the bat, uh, Corella doesn't put two and two together until some snow drips on them from a roof and reveals that they're white underneath. But by that point, they're all getting on the truck. Cue chase scene. Oh yeah, this is such an intense chase scene, and you can tell the... The truck driver's just like, what a crazy driver. And she actually is. Oh my gosh, she is. Well, her eyes are literally turned demonic as she's like trying to ram this truck off the road so she can get to those puppies. Do you think she's like been driving for like two days straight with no sleep and that's like what's got her like fired up? Oh no, she's a terrible driver. We've seen her. No, I'm not saying it's a, it accounts for her driving. I'm saying it accounts for the fact that she's become so dangerously obsessed with this coat and determined to get these puppies that she's like uh, started to abandon her reason. Yep. Any any shred of reason she had left. Yep. Because she does things that seem near suicidal when she keeps ramming into this truck and like at one point she like goes off the road and into a ditch, backs her car up, the entire roof of her car comes off. Yep, and she's just and she's still flying. just like ah, ah. this is such a good this is a hilarious and. Like, just intense scene. Horace, Jasper! And they ram into her car. And Yeah, they it's all... It's just such an... It's an actually intense chase scene. Yeah, it's really well animated. I, th- I noticed that... I think the cars are rotoscoped, because you can you can kind of tell just by the way that they're done. But it, it does look good. It does, actually. Yeah. But yeah, what happens is uh, Horace and Jasper are trying to ram... I think they're trying to ram the, the van... Mm-hmm. But then the steering wheel breaks because they're like skidding in the snow and then they don't they don't hit the van. They hit Corella's right behind them and they go tumbling into a ditch. This does not count on the plumbing counter because no one dies. No. Yeah. But yeah, they get in a, they crash at the bottom and they're just like. Because all you see is she's yelling, you idiots, and then just starts crying. <laughs> yeah, shut up. So yeah, they, they made it. They got away. Um, so yeah, clearly some time has passed because now back at, at the flat, it's Christmas, uh, presumably Christmas Eve. Yep, and uh, you can hear the song Cruella de Vil on the radio. So clearly Roger's song is a hit and has made, it probably money. made them a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just having a sad Christmas. They're like, we can't, I, I don't understand why Pongo and Purdy would run away. This was a while ago. They slipped out the back window and no one's seen them since. So anyway, sad Christmas, bittersweet Christmas until boof, boof, Nanny recognizes the barking, opens the door, in jump a bunch of Labradors. <laughs> And they're like, what the? Oh, it's them after you wiped them off. And now our place is covered in soot. Our place is covered in soot and puppies. Yeah, 99 puppies. Just so many. It's 101 of them. Yep. 101. Oh, Pongo, you old rascal. I'm like, are you implying that Pongo is the progenitor of all these puppies? That's kind of saying a lot. Okay, sure. It is funny, though. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, to wrap this up. Because we've been on this for a little while. Well, no longer than we usually do for most of these movies. Um, then we get the second song in the movie, which is Dalmatian Plantation. And it's not very long. We'll have a Dalmatian plantation. Where our population can roam or whatever. So I guess we've learned that they're going to go on to own a countryside home where 
all their doggies can run free. And these people, these are dog lovers to the extreme. You heard of crazy cat ladies? Yeah, these are crazy these are dog, dog couples. Lovers. Oh yeah. Yeah, but yeah, they decide to keep all the puppies, and and you know, this I realize thinking about the the why they're all Labradors. This must have made these all these scenes easier to animate because oh, they yeah. didn't have to draw spots on all of them for a while. That made it much made it much easier on them. It's a good story decision, but also a good animation decision. So yeah. good on you guys. Um, and then the last scene is all the dogs in the, in the neighborhood going crazy now that they know that all the puppies are back and their mission has been accomplished. So literally waking everybody up in London. The end. This was a fun movie to watch. I like this one a lot. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I did not expect to like really enjoy it as much as I did. Same. It's one of the most enjoyable ones we've watched in a, in a while, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story is good. The, uh, the animation fits... I don't think it's anything, like, it's not, like... It's not phenomenal or anything. It's not like, no. whoa, wow, but no. It is actually really enjoyable. Like, I could see myself, like, you know, I might just rewatch this. Great way to kick off the 60s, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I could see why it did well. So I, and so I'm going to stand by this. Ken Anderson is amazing, and Walt is wrong. Walt was wrong, 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 wrong. <laughs> This movie is great. <laughs> Ken Anderson's art direction really saves a lot of it. Oh, yeah. And a lot of money and time, too. Yeah. And there are some genuine... And look, despite the style, there's some genuinely beautiful parts in this movie. The part that always sticks out to me as a gorgeous shot is actually that scene where the barking chain has reached the countryside and it goes from really loud and c- cacophonous to very lonely and quiet. And it's that dog on that barge that's going down the river barking into the night. For some reason, that's a really beautiful shot to me. It is a lovely long shot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so glad we did this. I am too. And so glad we decided to do this at at Disney World. Well, Disney World property, I should say. It's been good fun times, I must say. Yeah. Well, we got a whole day of of, uh, potential relaxing, chill stuff ahead of us. I think uh, we were going to, we were talking about hitting Jock Lindsay's hangar bar. I think I'm down for that. Yeah. Um, Our next uh, Animusings podcast episode will be on... Sword in the Stone, um, but we also have an Animusings Plus in November as well. We do. We're going to, it's Mary Poppins. Oh, wait, we got to talk about Mary Poppins. That's important. Yes, it is. Okay. So, uh, hey, if you've listened to this this far, well, here you are. Thank you for listening. Um, you know what to do. Keep yeah. listening. Follow, follow us. If you're following us, cool. Thanks. And if you've ever given us a rating and review, we appreciate that too. If you haven't, you can do that if you want, but no big deal. We just, as I say every episode now, Kayla and I just like doing this. We just like having fun. We like hearing ourselves talk because we have that much of an ego. <laughs> so, and we like talking to each other about this sort of thing. About Disney movies. Because we're, we're nerds. And we're nerds like that. I mean, we're here doing this when we could have easily done this at home. But no, I lugged my laptop down here so we could, for your pleasure. And for ours, too. Yeah, actually, yeah, true. That, <laughs> we, for ours as well, just to say we did it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at AnamusingsPod. That's where we tend to take most of our questions. If you have any questions about Mary Poppins or about Sword in the Stone, feel free to pose those there. Uh, we will be doing both in November. I hope you all have a good October, and I hope uh, Halloween is good for you. Uh, we are going to make the most of our October as well. So, uh, yeah. Anything else we want to, you want to mention? Um, we, if you want to follow either of us on Twitter, you can follow Kayla at 
Canary T Robot. And David at Scary Sauce. And uh, you can check out all the other podcasts we're a part of, because we are a part of a lot of podcasts. Podcasts like Darkly Lit, which has come back this month. Uh, with us reading uh, Roll Dolls of Witches. Uh, Midnight Marinara has returned. It's gonna There's going to be four episodes this month. Um, and um, some other things. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can hear us on, uh, on... You can hear me on Undercooked Analysis. Again, if if you like spooky stuff this October, we've got you covered in on the Creative Horror Network. So there you can go there, creativehorror.com slash any of the podcasts I mentioned just now. Uh, but- or check out any of the podcasts on uh, the Benfume Network. Yeah, Benny Network has a, has a whole bevy. You can do Radio Brendo Man. You can do uh, Nothing New. Um, we could, uh, blah, 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 I guess there's Faux Boys. Um, the, just. There's a lot of podcasts on the Benview Network, and they're great. Go go listen to podcasts. Go listen you're, to podcasts. If, if you're not too busy watching Disney movies, go listen to podcasts. Yeah. I'll shout out to once again to Benview on Spielberg for kind of being the, the podcast that pushed me and Kayla to do this because I'm like, hey, if two guys. Two people can talk about, like, Spielberg, Spielberg movies. movies consistently for, like, a long time. And so can we talk about Disney movies consistently for a long time. We'll be at this a lot longer, though, because there's a much larger body of work to work with. Ah. And hopefully each one will be just as fun. Yeah, for sure. All right, so um, I think we need to go, uh, I think we need to go uh, make the most of our time here. All right. See you guys on uh, next month, then. See you guys next month. A pirate's life for me. Yo-ho. Out there in Benview Podcast Land. My name is Josh and this is Jesse. Hello. And we happen to do a podcast about video games called the Extra Damage Cast. Indeed we do. If you like to talk about video games or more accurately listen to other people talk about video games, you should check out our podcast. It's at extradamage.com or on the Benview Network website, whatever that is. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.